All right. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and make your way to Hebrews chapter 11. We've been spending our summers in faith, talking about faith. Just felt like it was a good time in the summer just to input and impart faith into all the people's lives. Whenever I have opportunity to teach on the subject and share on it again, it just encourages my own faith. And... Um, we walk by faith, isn't that right? Not by sight. If you walk by sight, you won't see miracles. But if you walk by faith, God can get involved in your life, and he can do some over-the-top, supernatural, miraculous things. And so we want to stay in faith. We want to keep our faith up. And tonight, um, you know, I kind of prepared a group of lessons, and as you can see, I just scrawled it out on, on legal pad. Uh, but tonight I want to talk about faith and the place of risk, all right? I'm going to share just a little bit. Remember, we don't give you any notes. The reason we don't give you any notes is because faith cometh by... Yes, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I, I'll get back to giving notes again. Don't you worry, but uh, I want you to listen. I want you to hear God more than fill in the blank. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. I'm going to begin reading... With verse 6, I could read many, many of the verses in Hebrews chapter 11 in order to illustrate this, but we'll just read a couple verses. Hebrews 11, verse 6, we read these words, but without faith, it is, what does that word say? Impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, meaning the Lord. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now we get into a couple illustrations. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. What that Verse is saying is simply this, nobody had ever seen rain before. You've heard that taught. Noah was commanded to build an ark because God said it was going to rain. Not only was it going to do something that they'd never seen happen before, but there was so much of it that was going to happen, they need a boat. And so Noah, by faith, built an ark. Now get this, there'd never been a flood, there'd never been rain. He's building an ark. Would you say that he probably had to eclipse the risk cliff in order to do that? I would certainly think so. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So here we find Abraham the illustration, being led to a place that God said that he would receive an inheritance, and he just did it, stepped out, did it, and didn't know all the details, didn't have everything at his disposal, but he did it. How many of you know there might have been some risk involved in following me? You cannot talk about faith unless you have a conversation about risk. Faith and risk are linked up together. 
Uh, if, if there's no risk, there's probably no faith. And to have faith, it means that there's going to be some risk involved in it. So you can't go forward, if we look at verse 8, not knowing where you're going and not sense risk. Isn't that true? I mean, if you're driving to a place you've never been before and you're just going and, and you're just, I'm going to get there somehow, some way, don't have a map, didn't ask for directions, didn't Google MapQuest, they aren't going to tell me what turn to take. How many of you know? That's kind of, it's just, and, and you have a specific time you've got to get there. That's risky. That's mighty risky. And can I just share this with you? I wrote this down. This is really revelational. The hard part about risk is it's risky. Isn't that revelational tonight? <laughs> yeah, write that one down. Put that one in Facebook. Quote me on that one. The hard part about risk is it's risky. And the reason I say that even tongue-in-cheek is because risk has as a component of it a potentiality. And that potentiality is failure. Isn't that true? Otherwise, it wouldn't be a risk. No one wants to fail. No one wants to be embarrassed. Nobody wants to look like I'm stupid or I'm an idiot. But, but a part of faith is risk. And the reason risk just, just absolutely hits us at a level is because within it has the potential for us to fail. I, uh, I'm the only one I probably that does this. I, 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 I read philosophers because I just enjoy the mental gymnastics at times. You know, I don't understand triathletes. You know, I don't understand why someone would go bike ride 20 miles and swim 20 miles and run. I don't know how far they swim and ride. And at the end of it, they're, they're ready to collapse and they think that's fun. <laughs> In some strange universe, they think that's fun. So for me, I just, I read philosophers, and I know some of you go, what fun is that? Well, that's it's kind of mental triathlete there, I guess. I read Kierkegaard. He's so funny because all the stories he tells, when he analyzes culture or the church, he always uses ducks as his example. Always. So you've heard some of Kierkegaard's stories out of me, duck stories. This is, I'd never, as much as I've read, I'd never read this duck story. And it, it was so good, I just, I just printed it off. And um, I haven't read it enough or know it enough to be able to tell it by heart. So I'm just going to read it to you, okay? So listen for just a moment. It's called The Wild Duck of Denmark. A wild duck was flying northward with his mates across Europe during the springtime. En route, he happened to land in a barnyard in Denmark where he quickly made friends with the tame ducks that lived there. The wild duck enjoyed the corn and the fresh water. He decided to stay for an hour, then for a day, then for a week, and finally for a month. At the end of that time, he contemplated flying to join his friends in the vast Northland. But he had begun to enjoy the safety of the barnyard. And the tame ducks had made him feel so welcome so he stayed for the summer. One autumn day when his wild mates were flying south, he heard their quacking. It stirred him with delight, and he enthusiastically flapped his wings and rose into the air to join them. However, much to his dismay, he found that he could rise no higher than the eaves of the barn. And as he waddled back to the safety of the barnyard, he muttered to himself, well, I am satisfied here. I have plenty of food. The area is good. Well, why should I leave? So he spent the winter on the farm. 
And then in the spring, when the wild ducks flew overhead again, he felt a strange stirring within his breast. But he did not even try to fly up to meet them. And when they returned in the fall, they again invited him to join them. But this time the duck did not even notice them. There was no stirring within his breast. He simply kept on eating corn, which made him fat. It's a little parable. And Kierkegaard would tell these little parables in order to uh, analyze what he saw happening within the life of the Danish church. And uh, I don't know if you can make quick application, but what he is saying here is that he is saying that this particular duck that is mentioned here reached the place that he had lost his sense of adventure. He reached a place where he found his comfortability, he found his needs met, he found everything at his disposal, it was easy, it was convenient, and all of a sudden he lost the adventurous, even to the point when he began to see other ducks flying and going to their locations, places he may have never been. There was something that was beating in his chest, but even though it was beating in his chest, there was still the, the, the chaining to that which was comfortable, and he would let the adventurous go. You know, what was interesting as I started thinking about that, I don't know how it worked for you, if you can think back to when you were first saved, I mean, when you really got saved, I'm not talking about when, you know, you, 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 I mean, you got right with God, and God met you. I started to think about that, and I'd do anything for the Lord. I mean, really, I'd do just anything. I'd, I'd be half crazy. In fact, some people said I was worse than any ten demons they ran across, that, that I probably needed to be caged up for six months or so before I was loosed because I, I would do anything. I mean, I'd, I'd, we did all-night prayer meetings. We did this. We would, you know, that. I mean, just crazy things we would go and do. But isn't it interesting what happens is, is as you get older, we, this is what we do. We call it maturity. But can I just share this with you? Sometimes I think maturity is the code word for losing our adventurous spirit. You don't mature your way out of faith. You don't mature your way out of zealousness. You don't mature your way out of passion. And yet somehow or another, as we, as we get more years under our belt and, and life becomes convenient and easy and all the things that we think about, it's amazing how suddenly we can watch we can watch those that are on this great adventure and something they beat in our chest that says, yeah, I want to do something like that. I'd like to go on an adventure like that, but, but I got to leave the barnyard to be able to do that. And to leave the barnyard means you're going to take a risk. You see, if we don't keep finding appropriate places to exercise our faith, we will lose our capacity to risk anymore. Now, I want to ask just a couple of questions to you, and uh, let's start with number one. When you think of risk, and if I were to say the word risk, does the adrenaline start flowing, or do the butterflies start churning? Does the adrenaline start flowing, yeah, man, I'm ready for an adventure, or are the butterflies starting in your stomach when you hear the word risk? Number two. Are you more apt to choose comfort where you are, or would you rather conquer new areas that God has for you? Are you more apt to choose comfort where you are, or to conquer new areas that God has for you? 
You see, as followers of Christ, we've got to step out of our comfort zones. The Bible is replete with this. you got to step out. The disciples dropped their nets. They followed the Lord. Peter had to get out of the boat in order to walk on the water. We can go on and on with all the different information. How else will we be stretched and molded into stronger believers unless we step out and believe God for something we've never done before? How do you move from faith to faith unless there's a moment that God calls you into something you've never done before. Can I just share this with you? I've come to this conclusion that that once you get a great victory under your belt, let's just say that you believe God for something, you trusted him for something, you walk by faith, you, you exercise whatever risk that was involved in that particular faith walk, and there was a great victory. You have a great victory. You know what I have found out? I have found out that once you get that victory under your belt, God closes the chapter on that part of your life, and you will never again have to, uh, uh, you know, fear or, or walk in anxiety or anxiousness uh, in that particular uh, area again. God. God had, will have given you a measure of faith. You, you, you have operated in it. You've per- prevailed in it. And uh, now you've conquered and you've completed and, and you're onto something else. And here's the thing that he does is, is that whatever risk value could be associated with that particular triumph, he will always up the ante for the next one. He'll never take you back here because that's nothing. But, but all of a sudden, he, he takes you up to the next level, and he says, now, now you're going to have to believe me at this level. And so he's constantly doing this with us because we're growing and we're moving from faith to faith to faith. He ultimately wants us to get to water-walking stages. But, but if we will never get to a water-walking stage if we can't first get to the net-dropping stage. Are you following me? Before Peter could walk on water, he had to first drop his nets. Right? So, that's how all of our lives work. He's going to have moments in our life, and most of us contract this in our testimony. We contract those moments that we, that we believe God and we stepped out and, and there, was, there was risk involved in it and, and not all the ducks could be in the road. It just wasn't going to work that way. And we, we stepped and believed God and God came through and, and met our needs and miraculous stories happened. And we get done and it becomes a testimony and hallelujah, praise God. We tell the story. Everybody gets excited about it. But I don't know if this is good news or bad news, but... God says, uh, you know, I rejoice with you, but guess what? I've got something more for you to do. Can you imagine dropping your nets? I mean, you gave it all up and followed the Lord. And now all of a sudden you're being called to walk on water. I mean, the first thing you want to be able to say is, Lord, I dropped my nets. (laughs) Isn't that enough? Apparently not. Not if you're going to walk with God. And so when God calls us, to these places, there's going to be risk involved, and the question is, how will we respond? Tracy and I are currently uh, uh, refinancing our home. The reason we're refinancing our home is, is that we, we got this exceptional, we found this exceptional interest rate, and uh, man, it will, it will massively help and put us in a position to not just get more stuff, remember, but for kingdom purpose. And so um, I was just reminded 
that the first time, I remember the first time, I was probably 29 years old, maybe 30 years old, was the first time I ever bought a house. I had either rented a house, well, first off, I lived in my parents' house for a long time. And then when we were first married, we rented an apartment, then we rented a townhouse, and then we were in a denominational system, and so they had parsonages, so they just, you know, it's kind of like they give that to you which used to really aggravate me because you could really have, they'd usually have a nice parsonage, but they wouldn't pay you worth a flip. And they'd always look at you and say, but you got a great house. Well, that, that don't mean anything to me when I'm, you know, eating Ritz and cheese every night. That doesn't, you know, I mean, take your house, you know, give me a food budget. I mean, but, but all my life it had been that way. I'd lived with my parents. Uh, we've either rented an apartment or a townhouse or had a parsonage. And so the time came. When we, when we assembled all together, everything, everything came together in order to buy our first house. Now, that's exciting, isn't it? Uh, it should have been exciting, but I had such fear in me, I don't know why. I guess it was because I'd never done this before. I never, I never bought a house. I was being tied to a responsibility, I guess, because I was, man, Trace was ready to roll. Me, I was full of anxiety. And she'd look at me, she'd go, what are you just... And it's full of anxiety. I said, I don't know. I mean, I know everybody does it. Millions of people do this kind of stuff. I don't know why. But I mean, I was full of anxiety. And we can analyze why that may have been, I guess. It was something new I'd never done before. It was a responsibility. I remember I purchased, Bill, my first house. Hold on to your hat. For $54,000. Can you imagine the crunching debt load? that fell upon me. I won't even tell you the numbers we're working with today. We got through it, closed on the house. Now, I use this illustration because since that first house, uh, some of you know our story. You know, we used to, we, we get houses, we flip them, we do all kinds of things, and that was one way to create, uh, create a little wealth or create a little savings. And so I'd, I've probably been down to 10 closings in my life. Now, I'm doing all the paperwork that needs to be done in order to get this loan closed. And as, my, as I'm doing all of this, again, let me just prepare you. There are so many new rules in order to get a loan. They're going to want to know your dog's name and your cat's name. I'm just preparing you. There is, you cannot do anything that they don't want to know about. And so we're getting all of this done. And in the middle of it, it was, it was aggravating to have to do it, but I, I suddenly noticed that there was no anxiety in it anymore. Do you know why there's no anxiety in that anymore? It's because once you break through one level, every time you do that, from that point on, there's no anxiety to it. Because you've experienced all the possible repercussions of that moment. Now, the negative example to that, oftentimes, I've, I've told this to people, is divorce. The reason divorce for most people is like scary the first time, it's because they've never done it before. And so they don't know if there's some hatch in the universe that will open up and they just both go through it, if they go through with this thing. But once they do it once, statistically, it's so. Once you do it once, it becomes easier to do it again and again. Why is that? It's because there's no mystery to that moment anymore. Are you following me? That's how faith, I know that was a negative example, but I'm trying to 
help you understand why it is that when you, you prevail over something and you have victory over that, you will retain victory because there's no mystery in that anymore. You understand the risk. You, you faced it. You won against it. It's not a big deal. You'll look at other people. You'll, you'll start seminars on it, telling everybody else, why, why won't you be like me? And, and, and you don't realize that's how you were when you faced it. But what God does is, is he says, great job, and then he takes you to the next level. And that's the way to destiny. Now, I don't know if that's good news or bad news, but that's how it works. Are you following me? So every time you're going to have to eclipse the fear of the risk that's facing you and staring you in the eye. Now, I'm going to share some things with you that uh, I just think are are analyzing points. You can call them steps if you want. But when you're looking, when you're looking at your next, your next step into God's purposes, and there's going to be risk involved. I'll say it again. You will never get out of risk. There will always be risk involved. I'm going to give you just a couple of things that are helpful and uh, we practice and it seems like it has served us well. All right. Number one, you can write this down. Gather your facts. Wherever it is you're going, whatever it is you're going to do, whatever it is you're attempting, get your facts. There's nothing worse. I mean, I'm, sometimes God will lead you into things and you're just clueless, but most of the time he has no problem with you gathering some facts and looking at the situation. It's important because of what will happen next. But in Proverbs 23, 22, it says, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. Now, what does that mean? In verse 22, Proverbs 23, 22, it means this. It means get a clue, listen to mom and dad. That's what it's saying to us. Now you say, why, did, why would he say that? It's because moms and dads have experience. I remember when I was 22 and I first got married, I still thought my parents were clueless. It only took just a couple of years of real life to realize they were a whole lot smarter than I gave them credit for. And from that time forward, I knew that there were certain things that I could call up mom or dad, and they actually had some really important insight for me. And if I would listen to them, I would be spared perhaps the risk, or at least I would understand what it is that I was entering into. So he said here, listen, listen to those who begot you. All right. And then he says, buy the truth. What does that mean? It means sometimes it's good to pay a little money to hear what the real deal is. Sometimes, sometimes it's a smart thing to invest in someone. If you want to hear what it takes, I've done this before. I've gotten on a plane, I've flown and, and there was a pastor that I wanted some information from, and I just said, listen, I'm going to fly there. I'm going to pay my own ticket. I'm going to rent my own car. I'm going to come get you at the office. If you will go to lunch with me for one hour, I will pay for your lunch. All I ask for you is to let me ask any question that I have. And, I, and I've had pastors say, oh, okay, I'll do that. You say, you would do all that? Yeah, it's worth it to me in order to get understanding. Listen to experience. Listen to those who really know. Find somebody who may have taken a step like you're about ready to take. Anything they would have done differently, some things they might do to encourage you to take it, come on, find out all your possibilities. At least you can take away some of the mystery that way. Number two, consider all your options. Proverbs 14, 15. 
Consider all your options. We read here, the simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. Through the years, I've watched people use the phrase, God told me. God told me, God told me to do this. Well, if God told you, who am I to argue with you? And you know the story. They, God told them, and they end up crashing in a ditch or running off a cliff. And then they'll come back and they'll say, well, I don't know about that, but I feel like God. You know what? Don't attach God's name to something unless you really know God told you. But, but even if God told you, God's, God's wisdom will stand up. Uh, to any amount of scrutiny. That's why the scripture says that everything is confirmed on the testimony of two or three. Every truth. So you can consider all your options and not be in rebellion. Again, the simple just believes everything. The prudent considers well his steps. Sometimes uh, your decision, uh, your, you discover, excuse me, that other doors can open that can be used by God to bring you to the place of his leading when you begin to consider all your options. Number three, consider the cost. I do believe that's important. I believe you gotta, you got to look and say, what, what will this risk? If I'm going to step in faith here, now, and you can take it in any area. Let's just say you're going to believe God for a healing, and you choose, listen to me, you choose not to use a doctor. I'm, now, I'm not recommending it, but you just that's what God has told you. I know a lady in Spindale, North Carolina. She's no longer with us. Because she caught breast cancer and she chose, she said, to believe God and not go to a doctor. She had breast cancer. So she was just going to do this purely by faith. Now, she didn't ask anybody. She didn't get any counsel on it. But that's what, that's what she chose to do. That was her choice to do that. Now, do I believe that God can heal? Of course I believe that. Do I believe that he can heal cancer? Absolutely I believe that. I also believe that God can use doctors and nurses to help us in healing processes. I believe that too. But she chose to do that. Now, you have to understand, if that's a decision you were going to make, she needed to sit down and count the cost. Now, that's not to get out of faith. It's just simply to say, do you understand all the repercussions that can take place with this particular decision? And I ask myself questions like, is the risk necessary? You know, risking just for risking's sake is foolish. But there are, but there are God risks that all of us are going to have to take that uh, are going to be important and are just a part of the process. But my analysis is this. Whenever I'm looking at whatever I'm looking at, I always ask myself this question. This is, what, this is like a conversation with my wife and myself. It's this. Can I live never knowing what could have been? Can I live never knowing what could have been? I mean, I don't know. I know you guys went to Gulfport for a while. I mean, I don't know all the processes you use. We're not here to analyze that. But there was a moment you said, we believe it be God to go to Gulfport. You know, God did some great things in Gulfport. But if you chose not to go to Gulfport, if that would have been in the equation, Jim and Brenda would have had to look at each other and said, can we live, can we live with the feeling of wondering what if? In our household, this is how we are in our household. I am not living with any what ifs. That's just me. I'm, I'm living life all out. I'm not, going, I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to do foolish things if I can help it. But by and large, I'm, going to just, I'm just going to play life large. I'm going to leave it all on the field, and I'm not going to put my head on the pillow wondering what if. We were walking the dog the other night, and I looked at Trace, and I said, you know the one thing about our life, I, at least I can say this, is that if I were to die today, I've at least gone after everything I felt like I needed to go after, and I'm not living with any what could have been's. 
That's a wonderful way to end life. What could have been? Now, maybe you have some regrets right now. All of us probably have a few. But you can change that by just using that cost-considering method. Can I live with never knowing what could have been? For me, it would almost be worse uh, to stay in the barnyard being fat and happy than it would be flying with the birds, finding out what's going to happen if I go fully north with them. Number four, pray for guidance. Pray for guidance. Now, these aren't, you know, that should be going on through the whole thing. But at this point, you, you've got your facts, you're considering the cost. Pray for guidance. James 1 and 5 says, if any man lack wisdom, what? Let him ask of God who giveth abundantly. Now, God may have already spoken to you about all of this, but why don't you take your plans before the Lord again? Say, here, Lord, here's, here's the plans. It's your agenda. I, this, is, this is what I'm sensing. What are you, what are you, are you, speak to me. Speak through people to me. Speak to me anyway. I'm open to hearing what you have to say. Begin to pray for guidance. Number five, this is, you put a star by this one. Number five, you've got to begin to visualize the results. You've got to begin to picture where it is you're moving to. Because if you don't get a picture in your spirit, if you don't begin to see where it is that God's wanting to take you, then you're leaping, you are, you're leaping into darkness. You've got to get a picture of where it is God's leading you to or calling you to. You've got you to see it. Abraham had his stars, remember? God took him out of the tent and said, look at the stars. He began to have a picture. Caleb had this mountain that he kept looking at for 40 years until finally he said to Joshua, he said, give me that mountain. That's my mountain. They're fixing to go in and fight the giants. That's risky business. They've weighed the cost. They've, they've considered their path. It's been before the Lord, and it's now time to go. And as he's going, the words out of his mouth are not, there's going to be a lot of giants around here. His word was, give me that mountain. Are you following me? You've got, you got to begin to picture where it is God's taking you. You can't picture calamity. You cannot picture failure. There's no other option, man. If, if, if you're jumping out of the boat, you better picture yourself dancing on the sea. Otherwise, you're going to be wet. Are you following me? Every Christmas, some of you have heard my story. We, we, we put lights up on our house at Christmas. And uh, I have to, it's a big ladder that goes to the point. Now, I don't know if it's, for some of you, it would be no big deal. For me, it's a big deal. I'm not a Heights fan. And I can tell you, every year I start... Well, I will tell you this, that the, more the first year this happened, because it was the first time I'd ever done it. Now, years after this, I haven't had the same fears, because once you do it once, see, it's under your belt. But I remember that first year, I, I put that ladder up, especially get at the point of my house. It's a long way up there. That doesn't look too far when you're standing on the ground just kind of looking up. It doesn't look that far. But you get on a ladder up there and you're putting up those lights and things like that. Just wait, Scott. You're just kind of hanging on a ladder. Now, here's the deal. I remember, man, because the whole time I'm up there, because I do, I, I kind of have, I, you know, I'm, I'm, with heights, I'm just, I'm a little skittish. I'm not a heights fan. And I remember I was about halfway up that ladder. 
and you kind of do this. And it looks, it's a whole lot longer to get up there than you imagine. And I remember about halfway up, there, inside of me, I had to say this. I said, Kevin, from this time forward, you can no longer look down. You, you cannot look down. Because if you look down, that's when it starts happening. You got to, and literally what I did was, I remember this now, this is all coming to me. When I got to the top and I'm putting on those things, I started, I started envisioning that the ground, that I was only on a step stool. Now, isn't that weird? But that's the truth. I started up there. I, I was, I don't know, 30 feet in the air. I, but I was envisioning I was on a step stool. And the minute I started getting step stool in, in, my, in my psyche, it's like all the fear went away. And it was no big deal just to do everything that had to be done. And then the next Christmas, and then it's been three Christmases since that has happened, I've gone up and down that ladder easily. Why is that? It's because... You, you eclipse your fears, you get over the risk, you visualize, I've only got one way to go. I can't, I can't look back. If I look back, I'm toast. If you look back, when you make your leap, you cannot look back. You've got to say, this is, this, is not, this is not, I'm going to try, and if it doesn't work, I can jump back. It doesn't work. You've got you to burn your ships, and you just believe God and say, God, there's no going back. It's you and me, and I'm believing you, and if you've got to pull my tail out of this, then so be it. Amen. Or you can stay in the barnyard. Number six. I think this is a good one too. You announce the decision. Romans 4.17 says that we call those things that be not as though they were. We taught on that. You call those things that be not as though they were. When you begin to declare, when you begin to announce, it does several things. Number one is it begins to move God's, God's link to your confession, and he begins to move and he begins to orchestrate all the things that need to come into the place for you to begin to move in that direction. But your declaration also does this. It puts you on the line. Now, I'm just here to tell you that not everybody is going to be your cheerleader when you take your risk. I wish I could tell you that everybody will clap their hands and be an encourager. Truth be told, you'll have everybody run up to you and say, you know, I don't see it. You'll probably fail. I knew 10 people tried to do that. Never worked for them. And, 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 and so don't, you know, don't be ignorant that you won't have those voices. They haven't gone through the processes you've gone through. Maybe they've never dropped their nets. Maybe, maybe, maybe they've, ne they've never built their faith up to the place that God has brought you. And that means you can't always listen. I, I've had people look at me and say, Pastor, I don't know that I'd do that if I were you. Well, you probably wouldn't do it if it were you. Because you haven't dropped your nets yet. I've lost everything. You lose everything once in your life and, every, and nothing means anything more. You do that once in your life and you find out, hey, you know what? I still ate. I still made my bills. I lost everything. And I'm still here. It didn't kill me. There was some uncomfortability to it. Yeah, I had to live in a small little cruddy place. But I'm still here. I survived it. That's what happens. When everyone else is looking to say, I never do that. I know you'd never do it. That's why you're in the barnyard. But some want to fly. And, and I'm just telling you, when it comes time to fly, you've got you've got to eclipse that and, and and announce that decision. And if everybody doesn't cheer you, I mean, 
We want to be cheerleaders. Don't misunderstand. I would want to be your cheerleader too. But I might not even see everything that God's saying to you. But truth of the matter is, I'm not the one that's got to take the leap. You're the one that has to take the leap. Number seven, you got to let go of the old. I only have eight things here, so we're almost done. You got to let go of the old. James 1.8 says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You can't get double-souled. You can't, you got to let go of the, you can't keep tied to the past to move to the future. You can't look back. Once you decide, do it. Do it. Come on, do it. You don't want to just hear my story. There have been moments I have faced the same cliffs some of you have faced or are facing. And I'm just telling you, yes, it scared me. Yes, I didn't know what was going to happen. But I'm telling you that there comes a moment you just got to do it. You just do it. You do, you'll never know unless you do it. You've heard me tell the stories about, you know, after, you know, you leave a denomination and, 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 and you move across the country, and all of a sudden, I saw more miracles in the first week. It just blew my mind. And then you have guys call you up on the phone and, and, and say, Kevin, we see that you're now in these circles, and we would like to work in these circles. Is, in there, is there any way you can help us make a smooth transition? You see what the problem with those guys I went to school with that were wanting to make a smooth transition was this. They didn't want to take the same risk. They're willing to let everybody else take the risk and then let me just hitchhike on your risk. But I looked at him and I said, dude, I, even if I wanted to help you, I don't even know what I would do. It, there comes a moment you just decide to leap. But, but I got a family. But I got a, I've got my, you know, my, the denominational retirement system. Dude, I left my denominational retirement system. You really did that? Yeah, because God's my retirement. You say, well, you may regret that in 20 years. No, I don't think I will. I don't think I will. But that's the part that has to go through you as you go through one through six. Do you want to fly or do you stay in the barnyard? And then finally, number eight is this. And this is the, this is the good one. Number eight is this. Just take a step. This is what I've learned about God. He gives me faith for one step. And if I'll take the one step, then faith will show up for the next step. And if I take that step, then faith will show up for the next step. This is what we want. We want God to, to give us faith so that we can just go. I don't know what that looked like. I'm glad we do not do DVDs. Yeah, yeah. And when we do, we'll stop doing that. I don't know what your first... There, there's got to be a first step. And whatever the If you take your first step, he'll be there. And then he'll give you the next step. And he'll be there. I'm, I, believe me, I'm not all that. I just, I'm just, I'm, I, I'm, I was just, I'm just a guy that wants everything God has for him. That's all, that's all I am. In some, in some measurements, I'm probably not nearly as successful or dramatic as other ministers of the gospel. All I have is my story and my walk. But this much I know, there have been times in my life that all I knew, all I knew was throw it in the rider truck and just go. 
And they'll say, what are you, where are you going to live? What are you going to do? What job are you going to have? I don't know. I'm just driving the rider truck. All I know is where my next hotel is tomorrow night. You don't know where you're going to stay. You don't know where you're going to work. You don't have a job. You don't have, I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I don't know. I got faith for this step. And what I found out was when I got there, God was there. He was there. That's my next, all I know is to do the next step. I've tried to do that my whole life. What's the next step? Some of you, and bless your heart, you've been with me through thick and thin and up and down and you know, abundance and, and abasement, and you've been with me. And I remember, I remember my last day over on the other side of the intercoastal waterway and walking through, and Tracy and I look at each other, and we're processing everything that's happened. And she's going, what are we going to do? We don't, we don't have a building. We don't have this. We don't, are we going to do this? Is this a, and, and we're talking back and forth, and I'm saying, I don't know. All I know is I'm just going to go to the meeting tonight. And then all I know is, well, maybe we can get Fort Johnson Civic Center for a couple weeks. And maybe we can get Hampton Inn for a few weeks. What are you going to do next? What are you gonna do? Well, maybe we can go to Discount Furniture World, but the fire marshal caught us there. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I guess I just won't paint the wall. I don't know what else to do. Are you following me? All you got is your next step. And you take your and God is there. That's what and that's what He greets you. <laughs> you take you you absolutely are clueless. You're clueless and you're going, okay, Lord. I'm I just and He's like He's there to greet you. I'm so glad you made the leap. See, I'm here. That's what faith is all about. That, that's why it's called a God risk. Yeah, it's, it's risky in human terms, but it's not because I'm not leaping. I'm not leaping into the inky blackness of nothing. I am leaping into the purposes of God himself who will catch me. So I encourage you, God's got big plans for all of us. I believe that he's got big plans for this local church. And sometimes even as a congregation, he'll say, congregation legacy, I'm talking to all of you now. I'm going to ask all of you to take the step and I'll be there. Yes, he will. Stand with me. I'm going to pray for you right now.